This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Eli on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! And Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer. Sports Radio 810, WHB, and wherever you get your podcast, wherever you stream your content, we appreciate you downloading, subscribing, and liking, and telling all your friends about how great the Sporting Kansas City Show is if you believe it, and we are presented <laughs> by Michelob Ultra, and it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Man, what a couple of weeks it's been for the sport of soccer in Kansas City, the sport that we love and the town that we love, and we got a big hour of programming around all of that coming up for you now. Joining me, as always, is Ali Trost in a very smart blazer and <laughs> turtleneck combo today. Are you so thrilled to be back in turtleneck weather? You were you were holding on to those turtlenecks into the summertime. I was, like, all the way up until June, so I yeah. really only went a couple of months, you know, with my turtlenecks stored away. So now they're back, and I'm very happy, and yes, I am I'm dressed up a little bit because I was coming from the... An, the press conference around the big announcement that KCNWSL is going to be building a privately funded stadium down by the riverfront. So exciting times and was out there for that. So I know we'll talk about that more in the show. But yeah, you're right. Very exciting few weeks of soccer. And it all comes together at Turtle neck weather time which makes me happy <laughs> so will be easy to address for all of these exciting occasions 70 million dollar stadium 11,000 seats with the possibility of growing it's just a great time to be a soccer fan in Kansas City it's been a great time to be a soccer fan in Kansas City for a long long time and it just continues to get better meanwhile sporting Kansas City knock off the Seattle Sounders in the rubber match of the of the series between the two best teams in the Western Conference uh, but we're going to talk about that. There was controversy. There was uh, there was maybe a preview of what playoff intensity soccer was like. We're going to preview another big game on Wednesday night. Tomorrow night as we're recording this thing, Sporting KC versus the LA Galaxy, who are fighting to get into a top four playoff spot, which would give them a home playoff game. Uh, and they're also fighting to stay in the playoffs. That's how tight the race is from four through nine, really, in the Western Conference, and we're going to talk about that L.A. Galaxy team with Josh Guessman, who is the host uh, of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, and he's going to break down this Mercurial Galaxy team for us that's coming to town with a lot to play for tomorrow night. We're going to hear from Elie, who spoke to the media today. We're going to hear from Peter Vermees on the status of some of his injured players. Also, on his thoughts on the status of the beautiful game in Kansas City with this new stadium announcement. And we're going to hear from Angie and Chris Long, the uh, two of the co-owners of the KC Woso team that uh, that made this big announcement that was all the buzz of the world of soccer today. And I mean the, the at least the at least the the country of soccer and, and, and maybe around the world there. So let's get underway here, Allie. We're going to start by looking back to what Sporting Kansas City pulled off. You were there in person. In the Pacific Northwest, Sporting Kansas City 2, Seattle Sounders 1. Man, what a game this was. And it was a fight. Like, that was, 
And just to give some of our listeners a look behind the curtain at how the sausage is made here, when I'm on the road, the way that I dial into the broadcaster that I'm, you know, usually have your live feed, got to get a little earbuds. Well, I do that via my phone when I'm on the road. And so I usually use my AirPods and do the noise cancellation so that I can actually hear you and Jacob mm-hmm, and hear Brad mm-hmm. and all of our, pro- our awesome producers. A couple of times I would like, I'd take those out to try and eavesdrop a little bit, hear what Peter's saying, hear what's coming from the Seattle bench. Nothing. I mean, it is just deafening the sound of the fans inside uh, at Lumen Field. It was hands down one of the best atmospheres that I have ever been in for an MLS game. And especially coming off of a really weird 2020 where even during some of those playoff matches, I don't think anyone was at full capacity yet. So to finally be back this round of playoffs to a true playoff-like atmosphere – Great for the game, great for the fans, great for the players, though, because that's that's an experience that you need going into into the postseason. And Sporting Kansas City got that, and we're able to get out with the win, which is even better. I went out to training today, and I talked to a couple of players. I talked to Kerry Zavagnin, and I said, "Hey, man, that that felt like watching a playoff game." I mean, I was doing the game back in the studio here in Kansas City with Jacob Peterson. And I could tell by looking at Jacob's body language that he wished he was out on the field <laughs> and he wanted to go fight somebody. You know, that yeah. we all remember how feisty was Jacob was. Too. Yeah, chippy game. And, and Kerry said, look, that, that was the playoffs. That, that wasn't like a playoff game. That was a playoff game. I mean, that's, there's no difference in the intensity in that one. And just imagine if these two teams face off again for a fourth time. They, he said it, it's RSL level now in terms of the way it used to be when those two teams would just, just butt heads like crazy, fierce competitors. Uh, obviously, one of the big talking points, Tim Melia takes down um, uh, Christian Roldan in the penalty area, and we're still waiting to see. I think as of late, latest, Peter said, hadn't heard anything from the league yet on that. Don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, I know that Jacob Peterson feels strongly that this is not a red card offense. I know just about everybody else I saw on social media from an outside perspective believes it's a red card. I think it's two fierce competitors who are trying to do everything they possibly can for their team. I think Tim Mealy is doing what every goalkeeper in the world is taught to do, which is you have to own your area. You can't allow anybody, let alone a little midfielder, to push you around in your goal. He backs him all the way into the goal. Tim tries to avoid contact with him for a while, pushes the ball out of the goal. Then he pins him against the goalpost. And by that point, Tim had had enough, and Tim sent a message. Did it go too far? Look, that's, that's for other people to determine. The referee didn't think it went to the red card level. The VAR didn't think it went to a red card level. And the Pro Referees Association, according to their statement, didn't think it went to a red card level. Uh... But, but boy, it sure got everybody wound up on social media. I could see it going either way. Sure. To me, the error comes, and you can't really blame the refs too much just in real time, not maybe having a good line of sight on what, it, you know, what mm-hmm. was going on there. But that play should have been whistled dead well before it ever got to the point of Tim making that content or contact that yeah. went viral. Christian rolled on, eyes him up, and backs him all the way into the goal. That's a foul and, right there. Stop the play. We don't get to this point. Well, and, and if you remember just that point of the game, I mean, like, what happens if Seattle scores there? And Tim didn't rolled on was the one to put the ball in the back of the net, and Tim didn't command the area. Like, Sporting doesn't want to be in that position. It, mm-hmm. it, you got to make those tough decisions. And, and, I mean, the intensity was like that the entire game. Like, that was a very 
chippy game. And it wasn't like Tim acted out of, you know, there, Roldan was doing nothing and he just like went out of it his way to unprovoked. do it. It wasn't unprovoked. Exactly. So I could see it going either way. But the fact to me that it went to VAR and still was not ruled, you know, a red card offense kind of says everything that I will find out if anything comes out, you know, ahead of Wednesday's mm-hmm. game. But also the fact that we haven't heard anything yet. I don't know. We'll see. So I'll say this and I maybe this you know, this is getting too controversial or whatever, but Speaking through Sporting Kansas City colored glasses, if I'm a fan of the team, if I am a teammate of Tim Melia, if I am a coach, if I have a goalkeeper who has someone like Christian Roldan pulling what he's pulling, and that goalkeeper doesn't react physically and assertively uh, uh, and, and, and send a message, I don't want that guy as my goalkeeper. You, you yeah. know, that, that is, you have to own your area. That is, every goalkeeper is taught that from day one. Does he have to body slam him? I don't know. My opinion is, that's what happens when a guy that's twice as big and strong as you uh, gets a hold of you when you're, when you're pulling something like that. Yeah, if he tries that move on a player the size of, like, Kyrie Shelton, I don't know if, if you have the same, you know, the dramatics probably right. aren't as big as they were just looking right. because of the sheer size difference between the two of them. Yeah, and it seems one of the strongest guys in the entire league. And, and But no, you're so right, though. Like, that is what you want and expect of your goalkeeper because Seattle was bringing the pressure in the second half. Like, you have to, as Tim Melia, send that message because you're commanding your area. You're trying to to leave Seattle with the result. So you're doing whatever it takes to get that result. And at that point, Seattle was, I mean, banging down the door. And it felt like goal number two might be coming for Seattle or, you know, wherever they were. I can't remember if the game, I think it was tied at that point. And they're trying not to go down a goal. I would put it, I would put it this way. Sporting Kansas City has had players literally put in the hospital by goalkeepers this year that didn't even get red cards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, if, if the league's going to do something about this, um, there's going to be some serious inconsistencies there, but that's that's happened in and the past. And Peter Vermees said today during his press conference when he was asked about it, he didn't really get into to too many details or provide too much of his own you know, commentary on it, but he just said, look, all I ask for is consistency. And I think that consistency mm-hmm. is the standard that we, you know, that the, the game should ask for. And to me, this is just another instance of consistency because you're right. I mean, Kyrie Shelton literally went to the hospital. Internal injuries Internal because the injuries. goalkeeper outside of his penalty area clattered into him and then landed on him with both feet. Yeah. You know, um, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes from there. Either way, to me, as I watched it, I thought this this is this is I mean, look, people I'm not saying I'm not condoning violence, but people like hard fought games. Teams going at each other, teams giving it everything they've got. That's what this game was. And Elie spoke to the media today and I asked him about He's played in playoffs now. Sometimes when the newcomers come from overseas, you start bringing up playoffs yeah. to him, and they're like, wait a second, what? What, what, I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? But Elie's been through it a couple times now. He knows the intensity level goes up when you get to the postseason. And I asked him how he would compare the game against Seattle to the postseason. You've got the experience now of having played in the playoffs in Major League Soccer in the past couple years. And I'm curious, looking back on this game against Seattle this weekend, watching it, it's difficult for me to imagine that a playoff game could even be any more intense than that one. How would you compare that game against Seattle to to what a playoff game is like? Nate, that was uh, a real playoff game. Uh, We both were fighting, both teams uh, were fighting for um, everything. 
finishing uh, top of uh, the West, uh, it means a lot uh, for any team that uh, it's in that uh, position. And um, yeah, that atmosphere in Seattle, um, knowing that uh, they would come up uh, and come to the game with everything, and, and uh, also actually uh, seeing that um, they were trying to play. Uh, with everything they had uh, to beat us or at least to not lose uh, the game. Uh, that was a, a real playoff uh, feeling. And, and yeah, we, we showed that uh, we are a team that uh, does uh, so many good things and, and works uh, very hard uh, to be uh, able to finish the regular seasons um, pretty much uh, every time on top, but uh, that we also have this character uh, this season uh, to be able to fight for bigger things. And the goal that you scored to win that game, 38 passes. I think basically everybody on the field touched the ball at least once during that sequence. As a guy who came up watching Barcelona, playing in the Barcelona system, I would feel like that might be a goal that uh, you're particularly proud of. Can you describe what it's like to be the part, be part of of a sequence like that, 38 passes that leads to a goal? Well, it feels so good. Um, I think that uh, that has to be the proof for us um, to believe that uh, still in these kind of games where situations get tougher and uh, we have uh, less uh, space or less time to think and to execute uh, we still have to do it we still can do it and that's the way that it's going to be um, closer for us to, to have success um, yeah uh, I think it was one of the few times that we were able to do it in the second half because we were put uh, in a big uh, or, or under big pressure, so um, yeah, getting stronger um, into that and then being able to do it uh, more and more as the games get tougher, it's going to be the key for us to to have a, a long run. All right, so there you hear Elie talking about the 38-pass sequence. We transition from just talking about the physicality of the game to the beauty of the game when it's played that way. And, and Ali, when we were going through that, I remember specifically as the game's going on, you see the game as a, as a commentator. I'm watching the ball. You kind of have an idea for the flow of the game, which team's on the front foot, which team's under the pressure. Sporting had been under all of the pressure through the first whatever, however many minutes of that, that second half had gone. They'd given up a goal, and all of a sudden they finally got their foot on the ball, and they started knocking the ball around. And I, and I remember specifically saying, this is the best spell of possession Sporting's had in the second half. Next thing you know, it's all the way back to the goalkeeper. They make a great pass through to Elie. He makes a wonderful pass through to Roger, who now has a chance to pick up his head and run at the Seattle defense and pick out the pass. He hits it perfectly to Johnny Russell. Johnny Russell's first touch is just immaculate for a pass with that much pace and distance on it. And because of that first touch, the second one you knew was going into the back of the net and sporting Kansas City score. And I remember, I got on the talk back button to our our, our our booth, our, our truck, the guys in the truck that, that, uh, that are doing all the work. And I, and I said, that had to have been 20 to 30 passes. Can, can we go back and count? And then a couple minutes later, they come back on and they said 38 passes 
leading to that goal. Textbook. If you open your your dictionary and you're looking up, like, what is the definition of possession? You know, possession with a purpose, we'll even say, mm-hmm. in soccer. That was it. And I remember watching in real time because, you know, that second half had been all Seattle, really, up until sporting finally started to, you know, maintain possession of the ball and kind of get the game back under control. And it was kind of that, like, whew, like, sigh of relief. And the fact that they were able to make that goal happen with so little with so few that was their only chance in the second half and it was their only shot Johnny Russell big time players make big time plays in big time moments and that it's it all kind of culminates at, you know after weeks of Peter talking extensively about Johnny you know he signs a new contract he's been on this incredible run of games with the you know the seven game now scoring streak and you know just him talking about what Johnny brings to this team like he's a winner he just he he just makes it happen and and then for that to be the game and he's scored against Seattle every game this season he has just been unbelievable for sporting even without Daniel Shallowy even without Alan Polito all it took was that one moment and Johnny Russell could not have just handle that entire play any better but no I mean the possession everything if Sporting Kansas City can continue to do that during of course this last run of games but into the postseason and to make a lot out of very few chances like that's what it takes you need to be able to withstand an entire half of pressure from a team the caliber of Seattle I know they were missing guys but still they had a decent number of opportunities all you need is that one but you need to have those clinical goal scorers and Johnny Russell is proving to be that consistent clinical goal scorer, even without two of Sporting's best available for this game. So I, I feel so lucky in this position to get the opportunity to sit around people like Peter Vermees and listen to them talk about the game. And Peter, we're going to hear his comments on the game and, and what this new stadium for Casey Woso means in a little bit. He thinks about the growth of the game all the time. And he has sat me down when I started doing play-by-play for the team a few years ago and said, I think a major job of the broadcast in sports is to educate the audience on the game. He's a huge fan of the NFL. And he talks about guys like Tony Romo who find a way to, you feel like you're learning what's happening on the field as you're watching the game in an entertaining way. And by understanding the game better, you enjoy it more. You, mm-hmm. you, you appreciate what you're watching more. And, and for example, you hear from a lot of Americans who don't love soccer, who didn't grow up with soccer, talking about how for much of the game it appears to them that there are just a bunch of people jogging around and kicking the ball around. And there's no purpose to it and there's no action. And to that that maybe novice fan who hasn't learned the game much yet, they might look at that entire two-and-a-half-minute sequence and say the only exciting part was the last three passes <laughs> of that 38-pass sequence. But I think that what, you, what we hope you, you, you start to learn, so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're learning the game, or... If you're listening to this and you're trying to help your friends understand what happens in the game, or you got kids and you're trying to help them understand how the game goes, go back and watch that sequence and see what's happening through those 38 passes. The first part is understanding what the game is calling for at the time. Your team needs to catch its breath. Your team is on the ropes. Your team is under pressure. You need to possess the ball for a while because it's less exhausting and it's less work to let the ball move around than it is to chase the ball all over the place. The second thing is 
in order for that sequence to happen, every guy on the field has to show himself as an option for the ball. Mm-hmm. Watch where everyone's movement is away from the ball. Midfielders are constantly showing themselves as an option and not just kind of jogging over. They're, they're coming and saying, I'm ready for the responsibility to have the ball and give it to the next guy. They work the ball from side to side multiple times, pulling that compact defense apart. A compact defense is really, really hard to break down in soccer. So they are able to pull Seattle slowly apart until they get to the point where Roger can receive that ball in space in the middle of the field and run forward. And and if you if you see those things unfolding in a game, it doesn't look to you like 11 guys jogging around and just passing the ball around no. for no reason. There's, there's a beauty to it that if you can appreciate that, you, you start to open up to this is an amazing sport. And, man, it's incredible to be able to do that, 11 guys unscripted with no timeouts. It's just phenomenal stuff. Well, and a couple of things that you said there come to mind when it when it comes to talking to fans, and especially fans who maybe have young kids playing in the game. Because I remember, you know, growing up, it's all about, like, you know, go score some goals. Go do, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's so much, so much of the focus is on, yes, Johnny attack, Ro- attack, 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 attack. And yeah. that is very important. You know, sure. you can't just knock the ball around and expect right. it to go in the back of the net. That's not necessarily <laughs> going to happen. Um, right. But it, it's recognizing all of the work that needs to go in from a player like Johnny Russell, from a player like Daniel Shallowy, to then find themselves in position to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's, you know, when it comes to pulling those defenses apart, pulling players out of position, finding those spaces, knowing when to to take the space, knowing when to, to pass back, go forward with, you know, hey, I need to get into this pocket of space to receive the ball. I need to get open for my guy here. I need all of those things that as you grow that chemistry with your team and in, when you have a, a system and, a, you know, as disciplined of an environment as sporting does, like they have a way that they like to play and you come in and you know where the guys around you are supposed to be. Like, you know, we talk about Elie going back to playing at the six. And of course, for him, it's like riding a bike because that's the position he played his whole life. But it's easier for him to move positions and go to center back and then go to the six because everyone knows where they're supposed to be. And that is the beauty of what Sporting Kansas City does with their system is that you can plug in, play guys in, and, and you have beautiful moments of soccer like that. And just a – it was textbook. It was exactly – what the game at its purest best moments looks like and is you know you can look the clip up on social media send it to people show them and you know show your kids too it's not just about being in front of the goal and kicking the ball in the back of the net it's the work that you do off the ball it's it's getting into open space it is all of the effort that it takes in the majority of minutes of the game where you're not going to necessarily be in a scoring position but what you're doing is the work to then put your team in those you know, give them those opportunities, put them in those in those positions. So, I, those are the main thing that main things that stand out to me. Um, when you know, if if you're a fan watching and you wanted to, you know, show your kids that or show a casual fan, but it's just the work that that these players put in. And to do that, also, we talked about the environment. To be able to do that in that environment is you pretty much get a playoff experience plus three points without even being in the postseason yet. A massive three points for Sporting Kansas City indeed, and a big game coming up tomorrow night, Wednesday night at Children's Mercy Park against the LA Galaxy. Two teams that are in the playoffs as of right now, but still a whole lot to play for. So we're going to preview that game with you coming up next with Josh Guessman, host of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast. That's right after this 
on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, presented by Michelob Ultra. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you downloading, subscribing, liking. We are presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And it's time now to preview another, well, we say it's redundant now. Every game's a big game when you're at this point in the season. But, boy, it's a big one on Wednesday night at Children's Mercy Park, Sporting Kansas City in second place going into this game against the L.A. Galaxy, who are in fifth place but level with fourth place Portland on points at 46. Boy, that was very alliterative. A lot of P's there. Um, And so we're going to – a lot to play for for this Galaxy team, just like there is for Sporting Kansas City. So to talk about the Galaxy with us, the host of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, Josh Guessman, joins us now. Hello, Josh. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How is everybody doing there? We're doing great. You know, Sporting just got a big win against Seattle. They're dreaming of a possible top seed, maybe – uh, in in the in the Western Conference playoffs, and, and I know the Galaxy are dreaming of a home playoff game, but also not feeling fully confident that you're going to be in the playoffs either. There's that, that kind of weird line. Here's why I want to start with you. As I was looking up, starting to prep for this Galaxy game, the LA Galaxy winless in September, the LA Galaxy undefeated in October. How do you explain those two things? What has happened? That, that is that is the LA Galaxy this entire season right there. I have no idea what's coming next. Uh, they are as a, they are a giant question mark, which I think gives them an advantage coming into this uh, Sporting Kansas City game. Uh, you, you really don't know what to expect. They have shown uh, times where they played very well. They looked looked in control of complete games. Uh, there's always been hiccups. There's always been issues. This is very much a team that has 17 new players on it that doesn't quite understand how to play together all the time, and so there's these lapses of judgment. Uh, there's some bad defending. There's an inability to score sometimes. And then other times everything works perfectly, and it looks like they've been playing this way you know, for years and years. Um, bottom line is that in terms of them coming together, they're a young team. Uh, Greg Vanny, obviously, his first season with the Galaxy and, and trying to figure out uh, all these pieces and which pieces go best and how to rotate and how to not rotate uh, players. And sometimes he's gotten it right. Sometimes he's gotten it wrong. Sometimes the players show up. Sometimes they don't. And uh, all of that means that it'll be extremely exciting to see what happens on Wednesday night. So, Josh, you texted me um, a, a certain stat line that we were both kind of laughing at, and, and you kind of boiled it down to just this. The Galaxy are 12-2-2 when they score first, and they are 1-9-5 when they allow the first goal. Um, why, like, why for both of those things? Like, why is it that when they concede first, they just can't seem to, to climb their way back into a game? And why is it that when they when they do score first, they're able to, to close it out oftentimes with a win. Yeah, yeah, I call that my stat line, my expert analysis, that if the Galaxy want to win games, they should just score first. And that's <laughs> the, the, the simplest way for it to work all the time. You know, it's a great question. Um, I, I sometimes feel like the Galaxy have a little bit of a, an identity crisis, right? And so we talk so much about their possession-based game, which is really how Greg Vanny usually sets his teams up and how – the Galaxy do play predominantly, you know, that's their predominant move forward is as a possession-based team, and so they like to control possession, they like to control pace. The problem is that their defense so often has coughed up balls, and defense goes into the midfield as well, so let's point at the midfield. Midfield hasn't been as well keeping that position. They'll cough up a ball, it'll come back, and a team will score. So the Galaxy have had 70% possession, and they're losing one nothing in this. Uh, whenever that happens, a lot of times the Galaxy are then forced to play even more possession-based, 
Um, and it, it, teams can bunker in and sort of sit back and absorb pressure. And so the games where the Galaxy have looked the best have been against teams that have wanted to come and play against them. Um, if you look at the Portland game from, uh, you know, what was that? It feels like forever ago, but last Wednesday, um, you know, Portland came in and sort of wanted to go toe-to-toe with the L.A. Galaxy, and that allowed the Galaxy to sit back a little bit in that. I think that ended up being, you know, almost a 50-50 possession-based game. Um, so when they're playing well, it's usually against teams that want to take it to them, and then they're able to score first and sit back and be more compact and absorb more pressure. But whenever they're chasing a game, uh, they're usually forced into more possession uh, and then going against bunker defenses. So it's it's this weird sort of, you know, um, dichotomy of two things. If they score first, the LA Galaxy ha- can absolutely beat Sporting Kansas City on Wednesday night. I would say the stats would say that uh, if, if Sporting scores first, then you can pretty much count uh, an LA Galaxy win off the table. That first, the only win they got was their very first game against Inter-Miami uh, of the season where they came back to win uh, 3-1, uh, 3-2. Uh, in a game where they allowed the first goal, so it's not like they've they've bucked that trend at any point, sort of in this uh, in this long run. So, Josh, you mentioned the seventeen new players, and I know they made a couple of acquisitions during the middle of the summer since we saw the LA Galaxy of late, uh, since we saw them earlier in the season. Uh, can you tell us about maybe how those acquisitions have or have not impacted the team? Yeah, I mean, you look at guys like Nico Hamelainen, um, who comes on loan from QPR, uh, had played previously, I think, one or two games with LAFC, actually, a, a couple seasons ago and came in. Uh, he is going to be, you know, more than likely your starting left back. So he's come in and sort of really, um, I wouldn't say put a mark on it. He, he's a default starter with uh, Jorge Villafania still sort of being questionable. He had an extended, uh, a hyperextended knee and a, and a bone bruise in there. And so uh, Hamelainen has been the first choice left back for the LA Galaxy. Uh, very good going forward, has some ideas, has some speed, uh, can get burnt sort of on the backside and, and, and coming back towards uh, towards goal. So his defense is, is sort of the question mark there. Uh, some of the other guys who will probably figure figure in this, you know, uh, Ryan Rebellison, uh, the Madagascar International, sort of in the central midfield area. Um, just some some other guys. I mean, even I would say Nick Depew, who's going to be suspended for this, but, you know, uh, Depew hadn't been playing and now sort of seems to be a first-choice center back and he'll be suspended for uh, this match because of yellow card accumulation. So you look at somebody like Dan Starris, it'll sort of fit in there as well. And then um, the French connections with Grand Sierra and Cabral um, sort of have, have fit in there as well as uh, Sega Koulibaly, who may also be a, uh, a fit in at center back if it's not Dan Starris. So uh, there's been a bunch of bunch of new guys, some hits, some misses, but uh, there's overall I think it's raised the, the level of the team uh, appropriately for what the LA Galaxy were getting. The last time that Sporting Kansas City you know, saw LA was in July, and the big news before the game when I met you was when Chicharito was a late scratch. Um, so what it, I, I mean, I'm looking at a stat line right now. He scored seven goals in the first five games, but has been relatively, it looks as far as goals are concerned, not as consistent. Just what has he been uh, since returning from that injury? Yeah, so out for almost two months, I think, whenever we really look at it. So a bunch of games missed. Um, now sits at 14 goals for the season. So, yes, it's been a slower sort of climb to that. When you look at it, he's only three goals outside of the golden boot leader, uh, Ola Kamara, and having played six less games, and in some cases uh, ten less games than some of the other players um, that are in that. So, yes, uh, they slowed down. He has not been as clinical, certainly, as his start would indicate. He had 10 goals in 10 games to start the season. Uh, basically, anything he touched went into the back of the net. Uh, now he's missed some shots. You can see it. Um, he's made a lot of really good contact probably in the last three to four games. Has gotten a goal here and there. 
Um, but it's sort of missing that signature Chicharito goal, which is scored from inside the box off a tight turn or sort of, uh, you know, something that's coming through the middle and able to shift back into the top of the box and, and fire something off. He hasn't been as pinpoint accurate with that. But having said that, he is very, very involved in the offense for the LA Galaxy and has almost turned into more of an assist guy. So um, he has been dropping deeper in the midfield whenever he has some cover and support from the forwards who, who go over top, whether it's Kevin Cabral, sometimes Victor Vasquez plays that particular position, or there's Dayan Jovalich, who was the new addition as well. Um, whether they pair him up top and sort of have a two-man front line, uh, Chicharito tends to drop into the midfield a little bit more, and then he also turns into you know the distributor there as well. So uh, we were talking to him, I think, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, yeah, I could have scored a goal, but I almost had three assists in this game too. He ended up having one assist in the game, but really put some great passes in that probably should have been finished as well. So um, as much as he's not scoring, he is still very heavily involved with the LA Galaxy right now. Uh, Josh, my last question for you. You mentioned uh, Nicholas Depew being suspended for this game. How do you expect the Galaxy to cover that? Yeah, it's a good question. Greg Vanny has been bouncing center back pairings uh, all season, some due to injury and some just rotating out because uh, they haven't had the best results. In the past, you would you would easily say that Sega Koulibaly would fill up and slot into that slot. Uh, Sega does have some downsides. Uh, he does tend to switch off on some plays. Back shoulder runs don't get covered very well into the box. Uh, a lot of goals come from his side uh, whenever he's playing, but is a good presence in there, can make big plays. And so if Greg Vanny is going to go with the guys that he brought in, then he's going to start Sega Koulibaly. If he's going to go back to uh, to sort of uh, old old faithful, as we say, and poor Dan Sarris, I think he's 27, 28 <laughs> years old, and we call him old faithful. Uh, but if Dan Sarris goes in there, um, I wouldn't be surprised either. For a game as big as this, Understanding, understanding sort of what's at stake. I would think Steris would be the smarter play to, to pair with Derek Williams at the center back line. But um, either of those guys could fit in, and we are not ruling out a switch to a three-man back line either just to throw a wrinkle into everything. Not We've seen it a couple times. It's just one of those things when you look at, you know, sort of center backs being moved around, whether or not Vandy says, well, maybe this is the game, but I go three in the back instead of playing four. Well, that's certainly the flavor of the month. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> Seattle kind of got the ball rolling in the league. It seems like it's happening all over the world, so we'll see if we see it tomorrow night. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for the time and the insight. We really appreciate it. No problems. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck on Wednesday. All right, uh, same to you. Josh Gessman, host of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, breaking down this Galaxy team. 7.30 tomorrow night, we start our broadcast on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Kickoff a little bit after that. Allie Trost will have pregame and we'll have play-by-play uh, right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to that big news about the brand-new stadium coming to the Kansas City women's soccer team in Kansas City. Right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Of course, uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, 7.30, right here on Sports Radio 810, Sporting KC versus the LA Galaxy. Uh, we got a little pregame show. It's going to be hosted by Ali Trost. I'll have a pregame conversation with Peter Vermees and then right into kickoff for another big, big matchup. Now, I woke up this morning, Allie. Last week we had the <laughs> FIFA delegation in town. We had the national team in town. I got to go to the women's, uh, the Casey Woso game on Friday night, then the sporting game against Seattle on Saturday. It's like, man, how could the week? How could it be any better uh, to be a sporting Kansas City fan? Or I mean, sorry, a soccer fan in Kansas City. Five thirty this morning, I get a text message from a, a person with Casey Woso. Check your email. We're sending out a news release right now. 
And the news release says, Kansas City NWSL and Port KC finalized plans for first NWSL purpose-built stadium at Kansas City Riverfront. The renderings are amazing. $70 million project, 7.08-acre site on the east side of the Berkeley Riverfront area in Kansas City, uh, which is right on the river. A wonderful area. 11,000-seat stadium. And, and now we know KC Woso, whatever they're about to be called, hopefully we find that out pretty soon. I can tell you when we'll find that out. When are we going to find Another that out? Another big announcement today because they just kept them rolling yeah. Saturday at halftime of their game against O.L. Reign at Legends Field. They're going to have a big halftime presentation, and you won't want to miss it. That is, that is awesome. So can't wait to find that out. They're going to have a training facility in Riverside of their own, and now they're going to have a soccer-specific stadium of their own. And, Allie, here's the thing. You know, I look back when Children's Mercy Park was, was built, and that was before you had moved to Kansas City. That was before I was working for the team, but I had become a diehard soccer fan at that time, and I was trying to tell everybody this ownership group, just wait, this stadium. And people thought they were nuts. How could you spend that much money on a soccer stadium in a town where you could barely get 5,000 people to come to an independent league baseball stadium to watch you play um, and expect to sell it out? Well, we know how that's turned out, right? Pretty yep. darn good. <laughs> um, and that set the standard for the next chapter of growth in Major League Soccer. Up until that point... Everybody was building stadiums on the cheap, like the one that was in Bridgeport, Bridgeview, whatever it's called, in Illinois, where the, mm-hmm. the fire played out in Colorado, that place that, that nobody goes to. Uh, you know, in Columbus, the stadium that's already defunct there, the one down and down. And, and, and everyone's like, they're going to build a state-of-the-art soccer-specific stadium that's going to be an actual attraction? And now look at all the different stadiums like Orlando and LAFC that have come along since. They changed the game, and they showed everybody in the league that it can work. To this point, in professional women's soccer, there's no team in NWSL or in, in other parts of the world that in I can In most other of. parts of the world, I, I can't think – I Sam Ellinger had had in his, um, his story today that it was the first like in the world, I believe, and, and there may be some others. But regardless, this is a monumental moment for women's soccer. Let's No mistake yes. about that. It um, sets the standard. It sets the standard, and that is, to me, what is – that's the story here. There's so many different stories in this this massive announcement today, but one of the big ones is what this does for the league moving forward. Before the NWSL, the number of, of folded leagues were the result of ownership that didn't care, that didn't want to make the investment, that weren't committed to what it actually took or would take to create something sustainable. The league's in a lot better position now, but... Obviously, as we learned this last year, a lot still needs to change. Yeah. And a big next, when we talk about MLS 3.0 all the time, you know, or the, the evolution of MLS with Peter Vermees. I think we're in 4.0 now, whatever number we're in. The same thing is, to, is true with the NWSL. The next generation or evolution of NWSL is going to be owners who are expected to come in. And if they're bringing a, a team to a new city or you know, bringing it back to a city that doesn't have top-notch world-class facilities for them, that doesn't have a, a soccer-specific stadium that is that can be their home. Because I know another question for a lot of people is like, well, we already have a soccer-specific stadium in Kansas City. Why would we need another one? Because there's a big difference between being a tenant somewhere and having it be your home. Yeah. And this is going to allow this team to do so much more than they could if they were just to be a tenant 
at Children's Mercy Park. A beautiful place to play and a place I know that they are very excited to play at in 2022. But you just, you hit the ceiling there. This mm-hmm. this opens the door for so much more and is just going to be a massive development, not just for the, the purpose it'll serve for the NWSL, but Angie Long was talking today at the press conference saying, you know, we envision this as a place where high school sports can maybe take sure. place, where sure. college sports and championships can take place. The opportunities are endless. Concerts. I, I mean, this is not just, you know. What a concert venue it would be. I mean, and, right and on it, the river. And it's a revitalization of a, a part of downtown that, you know, has been neglected or had been neglected for so long. It's where Kansas City started and now this investment is being put back into that area and what better thing to have as the focal point than this new stadium. So let's hear some sound bites from the news conference today. First, Angie Long. Angie and Chris Long, along with Brittany Matthews, the, the owners that announced this today, she says this new stadium, to kind of go to Allie's point about not playing second fiddle in somebody else's building, having their own stadium will take women's soccer to another level. Getting into a stadium where you're the primary tenant, right? This is a separate team. Um, and when, when you're the primary tenant in a stadium, everything becomes about that team first, right? The, the way, the, the branding, the way that it's laid out, how it is designed, who the sponsors are, controlling of your schedule. Um, and so I don't see any reason why this team should be the, the secondary tenant in any, in any stadium. So now they don't have to worry about travel schedule or uh, practice schedules with, you know, coordinating with other teams, working around other teams, game schedules and all. They're going to have their own place once this all gets done. And, and a guy that knows about that is Peter Vermees, because when he was a professional player for the Wiz and the Wizards, they had to share Arrowhead Stadium with somebody else. Then they had to share a baseball stadium with somebody else. And he knows what it's like to finally have your own stadium. He was asked about it at his news conference today. And as, as a fan of just the sport of soccer, he says this women's soccer stadium is another great sign for the beautiful game, specifically in Kansas City. The game is growing. And, and you know, there was a time when I was playing myself, especially in the early years, and you just weren't sure if it was ever going to take you know, the kind of foothold that it has now. Um, and, and so I, I just believe that soccer has, has made its made its place in this sports landscape of the United States, which is tremendous because it is the world sport. And so as, you know, the women's league continues to grow, um, as youth soccer continues to grow, as our league continues to grow, it's great for the sport, um, the sport that I love and that I was hoping that someday would start to get the kind of recognition it deserves um, in this country based on the popularity of it worldwide. And so it's, uh, you know, every time when when you see new things happening um, and it's always easy to use, uh, you know, the building of something a new stadium, a new training facility, because those things you see on a regular basis. And I think it, it, it gives you this permanent uh, view of something that's, that's always there in front of you that you can see and you can relate to. Um, and then the other side of it is the game keeps growing and getting better and better all the time in the quality of it. And that's, that's the place that we got to continue on, you know, the, the men's side, the women's side, we have to keep pushing the envelope um, you know, in those areas, the quality has to get better with the, the youth players, everything coming through. And, and that's an area that has to have a lot of focus here in this, this next, I think, in the next uh, evolution of our game. All right. Now, Ali, 
you and I were on stage together hosting the biggest World Cup watch parties that there was in the world when the United States won in the Women's World Cup in France a couple summers ago. And apparently, according to Chris Long, that is really the origin story of this ownership's group foray into professional women's soccer. While we were there, and then when we got back, was the fact that Kansas City was also at the center of it all. Despite at that juncture not even having a women's professional side, Kansas City was one of the top media markets for the U.S. women's national team. Think about that. Amazing. What's also amazing is every time national broadcast wanted to show fanfare at its best, guess what they flashed to? The Power and Light District in Kansas City. That, too, made a massive impact on Angie and me. During that incredible journey, two things were readily apparent. Kansas City is unequivocally, undeniably, the soccer capital of America, period. And two, facilities are critical. Everyone here agrees women's sports on a massive upswing. And to continue that trend, which is certainly our friend, world-class facilities are paramount. That kind of gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? To think about like how, how we as Kansas Cityans were, were a part of that. We showed a couple of civic giants in Kansas City what kind of passion there is for women's soccer if you tap into it here in Kansas City. They got caught up in it, being there in France, and here we are, they're investing heavily in the future of the women's game in Kansas City. It's it's amazing. Today at the press conference, you know, as Chris and Angie are talking, we heard from John Stevens, who's the CEO of Port KC, Mayor Quentin Lucas. And as they're all talking, it actually brought me back to when I was playing U14 in St. Louis, which is where I grew up. And I had a coach who would always send us these, like, inspirational emails. And there was always this quote from Wal- uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson that he would send us. At the end of each email, it was like his little sign-off. It was like, go not where the path may lead. Go where there is no path and leave a trail. And I think when you have owners who are visionaries and who believe in something that up to this point, not a lot of people have believed in. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they've believed in it, but they didn't want to do the work to grow it. And it it reminds me a lot of like Peter Vermees, because we talk about this a lot. Like he came in to where MLS was, I mean, obviously as a player, but then getting involved on the technical side, seeing with his vision as of what it could be and putting in the groundwork to do it. To me, there's a parallel there with what Chris and Angie Long are doing. They are they are paving their own way in a league that is thankfully here to stay after years of failed women's professional soccer leagues in the United States, despite having one of the most successful women's national teams here in our very country with so much talent to go around that just getting a professional league to stick was never possible. And now they are taking, they are helping be a part of the movement and the change to take that to a new level. And for them to, to be in Paris, to, you know, to see Kansas City up on the screen, to, to think being in the, the city center, being in Paris, being in like, why can't Kansas City be this? Why can't we bring that back home to Kansas City where they knew it would, with the right people involved, with the right investment, it could be something special. And the NWSL still has a ways to go. 
heck, soccer in Kansas City still has a ways to sure go. Sure it does. But if there's anything that we've learned, I think in, in Kansas City, man, I can't think of a more lucky and fortunate place when you think about all of the incredible people involved. But when you have owners like the Illigs, when you have people involved at the top like Peter Vermees, when you have owners like Chris and Angie Long and Brittany Matthews and all of the people who are involved in growing this thing and growing the sport here, um, and then when you consider the FIFA delegation being in town and the plans to bring a World Cup to Kansas City, I mean, that that's what not just Kansas City needs, that's what the sport of soccer needs is, is that kind of passion and that kind of vision. And on the MLS side and the NWSL side, we're, we're seeing firsthand that both parties have it. Uh, I did have fun uh, reading some of the criticisms of the tactics that were being employed by Casey Woso in one of, in the artist rendering, as it looks like there's about six players on the field. Uh, they're definitely <laughs> pressed way up the field and playing without a goalkeeper. So um, I hope that Hugh Williams won't employ those tactics, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, like you said, blaze a, a trail, uh, having fun with that. The, the renderings are really, really cool. And, and the, it just when an architect and not a, oh, a manager, yeah. I guess, puts together the game plan. Yeah, uh, they're focused on the aesthetics yeah. and not the, uh, yeah. the tactics. Not, not what formation <laughs> they're playing in the artist rendering of the stadium. But uh, man, it looks cool, and it's just such. I used to live downtown in the in the River Market. We both lived in that area yeah. at some point, and, yeah. and I can tell you, just having lived there, I think two years ago, seeing the different ways that it's grown, and seeing a lot of the investment going into the River Market and the Riverfront, and and all of downtown, really, but. It's really going to be an exciting destination for people to go you. and watch professional sports or whatever events end up occurring there throughout you know, the year and the years to come. It's just I think there's and the fact that you had mentioned this earlier, Nate, it has the ability to expand. So mm-hmm. the current model right now is 11,000, um, whether it's adding seats in the corners or in other areas, there's a way to expand and not double the size but at least, you know, grow with the league and with the stadium's needs. I'm telling you, when I lived there, it was before T-Mobile Arena. It was before the downtown re- revitalization. And my friends and I would always just say, man, this place has so much potential. There is so much that could be done down here. And it's, it's been happening over the past 15 years. And it's really, really exciting to see. All right, they're going to wrap it up now. want to remind everybody, Big A tomorrow night. Get your tickets, by the way. I know it's a Wednesday night. I know it's a school night and all that. But, man. This is a huge game against the L.A. Galaxy. They're in the playoff race. Sporting is obviously playing for seeding going into the postseason. They punch their ticket to the playoffs, but there is still so much to play for. SportingKC.com. Get your tickets if you can and be out there and be loud. 7.30 tomorrow night, we're going to start our broadcast on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Allie doing the uh, pregame and then the sidelines and me and Jacob Peterson on the broadcast as well. That's going to do it for us. We will see you next week getting ready for another big midweek game as well against uh, Austin. First trip down there for Sporting Kansas City. We have been presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. We'll be right back.